Our text for meditation on this 16th Sunday after Trinity is our Old Testament reading for today. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 through 24. Hear the word of our Lord. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever had a moment when you blurted something out only to wish you hadn't? We all have those moments. In fact, I imagine this is even more prevalent in our current culture where victims are aristocracy and everyone walks on eggshells. We are all quick to look around, quick to apologize or rationalize, all in the hopes that someone doesn't destroy our life. Which is unfortunately extremely easy these days. No matter how in your face someone is, Chances are he has had to backtrack after making an insensitive comment, whether it was justified or not. It sounds a little bit like this is what the widow does in our Old Testament reading today. Her son has just perished and she is distraught. In her grief, she cries out to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. I can only imagine the room getting quiet. It's that oh-snap moment when someone says something that sounds heinous, and we just have to shake our heads and wonder. Did she just blaspheme God? Did she just spit out the words, oh man of God, in sarcasm, as though Elijah was the bad guy here? Did she just say that God punishes the child on behalf of the parent? Oh, man. Let's all back away from this woman. She's about to get the full smiting experience, isn't she? The problem with that reaction, though, is that the widow is right in what she said was appropriate to say. I fail to see a single unscriptural thing she said. The widow speaks out of grief, but also heightened stress. Let us not forget that she did not just see her son die and then immediately start shouting at the prophet. First, her son became ill. There was a process of watching her son die. And whether that was a slow or fast death taking 
months or just a week does not matter. It was simply not all at once. This is a torment upon any mother who has to watch. She has been in distress for a prolonged amount of time, and her son's death is the final straw, so to speak. This is not a woman who was fine until her son just often died one moment. But what does she actually say? First, she asks, What have you against me, O man of God? Elijah was a prophet, well known to be sure, who brought wrath everywhere he went in the northern kingdom of Israel. Now surely she was a Gentile living in Zarephath, a town in Phoenicia, but Elijah had come there to hide after pronouncing a drought upon all Israel for their rebellion against the covenant God made with them. Zarephath was a full 100 miles from the brook Elijah started at, but this was a large drought, and the Gentiles were beginning to feel it too. They felt the same brunt of God's wrath upon the Israelites as collateral damage, and the high salinity of the Mediterranean Sea meant the ocean wasn't going to save them either. It does not stop with the drought, though. She moves on to a direct statement saying, First, you have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance. Elijah's ministry as a prophet was very focused on the law. The law, beloved, always accuses. Always. What kind of conversations did they have before the widow's son became sick? While biding their time together, waiting for the drought to end, how many times did she hear this prophet preach? Even if he was totally silent for months on end, what was it like being in the presence of a holy man, one whom you know is closer to God than yourself? Just being near a pastor can make people uncomfortable, even to the point of feeling judged whether or not the pastor says a single word. Trust me, I know from experience. But beyond that, being around Elijah was reminding her of her sins. And God had sent Elijah there. When the widow says that Elijah came to bring her sins to remembrance, she was correct, if only in part. And then comes the uncomfortable part. She ends her outburst with an accusation that the prophet came there to convict her, quote, and to cause the death of my son. We start shifting in our seats here, wondering if she is blaspheming our Lord by claiming he sent Elijah to her solely to kill her son. Did she blaspheme? She did not. We have all heard in Ezekiel 18 verse 20, which says, The soul who sins shall die, the son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But we forget that this does not mean the children will not die. When Nathan pronounces that King David and Bathsheba's child will die, he is not saying that the child is punished in this. He is saying that David is punished this way. So too is this woman suspecting that on account of her sins, she is being punished by the loss of her son. This is no calumny against God. Our God explicitly declares in his sovereignty that he is the Lord of all life, and he takes it when he pleases. 
In Deuteronomy 32, verse 39, he says, See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill, and I make alive. I wound, and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. And he has declared succinctly in Genesis 3, verse 19, For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Death is a punishment for sin. We all deserve it. And we understand that there is no human being on this planet that can escape God's judgment on us. The only two sinners who did not die, Enoch and Elijah, are the exceptions precisely because of God's mercy, not out of any ingenuity on their parts. But I digress. Death is a punishment, and it is by God's will that we die. The widow knew this, and knew that the sorrow which comes with others dying, especially our families, is part of the punishment. Notice here that Elijah does not argue with the widow. He does not shut her mouth as though she had blasphemed. He cannot bring a charge against her here. Instead, he cries out to the Lord, saying, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Elijah was clearly familiar with Job, who wrote this inspired line from Job 42 verse 11 when his family came to comfort him. They showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the disaster that the Lord had brought upon him. Now it is a sin to say that God did something morally evil, for he never does. But it is perfectly legitimate to cry out that God has brought you pain even though he is 100% justified in doing so. Yet this is not the end of the story, is it? If death is a punishment for sin, then what is the point of reviving the widow's son? The passage says that God listened to the voice of Elijah. But is that the only reason? Did our Lord see that a woman was upset, Elijah was sad, and the situation was so very, very bad, so he just had compassion on them? I don't think so. Far be it from us to say that the moral of the story is God being an easily manipulated softy. We worship the God who understands all mysteries, who sees infinite depths and meanings, and who can do all things. There is power here in the miracle which he accomplishes through the prophet. Oh yes, there is a demonstration of power here. Death is a punishment, but God is sovereign over life and death. There are far fewer ways to drive home his absolute omnipotence than to take a corpse and breathe life back into it. If we were to say that the moral of the story here is that God is very strong, we could not deny that this is a factor. But it is not the point. Oh, it's there, beloved, but it is not the message that God wants us to receive. So what is the message here? What shall our ears merely hear of God's grace? Truly, his grace is there too. God did not have to bring the widow's son back to life. And the widow certainly did not deserve her son being brought back to life. Indeed, grace is being given the good things that we do not deserve. A Gentile woman 
who has likely never encountered nor worshipped the true God, will have many, many sins for which she is rightly bereft of all sorts of blessings. God is gracious unto her, giving her more time with her beloved son. But while this, like God's power, is present in the story, God's magnificent, magnanimous grace is not the point. I imagine people listening are becoming impatient, so let us get straight to the point. This story is the gospel given unto the widow in a way she can understand, in a way that we must treasure. Death is a punishment for sin. On account of her sin, the widow sees herself punished by the death of her son, her only son. But if death is the punishment, what is being brought back to life? It is forgiveness. The poor widow knew that Elijah was sent to Zarephath in part so that her son would die and she would recognize her guilt. Again, Elijah does not argue with her when she says this. But if his death was a punishment, then his living again was a pronouncement of absolution upon the widow for her sins. Receiving her beloved son back into her arms meant and tells her that even though she performed no sacrifices, even though she had no merit of her own and had not even been born into the house of Israel, God mercifully removes the punishment for her sin through the resurrection of her son. Resurrection of an only son signifies forgiveness, and this points us straight to the gospel. Jesus Christ died on our behalf. He knew no sin. He was perfectly righteous in his earthly walk and ministry, yet for my sin and for your sin he died. Only unlike the widow being seeing punishment for her sins through her son's death, we see Jesus Christ punished for our sins. The widow's son was not being punished, as he was the illustration God intended to make here of the only begotten son who was indeed punished for someone else's sins. Our sins, the widow's sins, Elijah's sins, everyone's trespasses and debts, he nailed them to the cross. And just like the reviving of that child in Zarephath, it is by Christ's resurrection that we truly know we are forgiven and saved. If Christ had not risen from the grave, we would still be lost in our sins. A debt might be paid, but there was no pronouncement of pardon, no absolution, no real guarantee that we were free. There would be no sentence of not guilty upon us, but Christ indeed did rise bodily from the grave, and so we rejoice to agree with St. Paul when he writes in Romans 4.25 that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The widow knew that her son rising from the dead meant that her former sins were forgiven. So too do we know that we are justified, counted righteous, ultimately from the guarantee present in our Lord's resurrection. There is no sweeter truth than this, my friends, that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose for our justification. 
that we baptized believers may know that by his power, grace, and ultimate infinite mercy upon us, we have eternal life. Do not fear death, for this also means that we too, like our Lord Jesus, being found in him, we will rise unto life eternal. The widow's son dying and rising was a picture of what was to come, but for us it is also an encouragement that our God can and will bring us back from the dead. Death is no longer the period at the end of our sentence, it is the comma which punctuates this life from the eternal one which we will enjoy forever. So, beloved, let us not fear death. It is the final enemy, to be sure, but may we go forward knowing that God has promised us ultimate victory with the free gift of salvation in Christ Jesus. Let us walk forward with our heads held high, knowing full well that God is capable of giving us life, gracious to give us life, and merciful to give us life. Having the same faith now as the widow who saw resurrection with her own eyes. Now the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.